0: We uh, kind of backed into a series a couple of weeks ago uh, that we've entitled The Key Elements of Faith. Now, I say, say it that way because uh, we really didn't, I didn't intend to uh, start a series on the subject of faith, but we got to talking about some things, um, the first service, and I didn't get finished with them, and so I continued it, and, and now it seems like that's the way the Holy Ghost wants us to go. So we have discussed um, uh, a couple of things, uh, uh, the reason that we're calling it the key elements of faith, because these are the most important things you need to know about the subject of faith. Now, as we've said uh, numerous times before, faith is an important thing because Hebrews 11:6 says you can't please God without faith. Well, I don't know about you, but I want to please God. Amen? Well, so faith must be important if it's necessary to please God. James said that without faith you can't receive anything from God. Well, I want to receive from God too, don't you? So faith is a necessary ingredient for those two things, if nothing else. Furthermore, the Bible says that three things will endure forever, faith, hope, and love. So if you think faith is just here on the earth, if you think faith is just something to get saved by, and that's the end of of the issue or that's the end of the operation of faith, you better rethink that. The Bible tells us that God operates according to the principles of faith and that faith is eternal. So you're going to need faith in heaven. I would suggest that you learn it here get a head start. Amen? Well, Mark chapter 11 has the most concise verses of, uh, on the subject of faith of anything, in my opinion, that uh, is written in Scripture. You remember the story. We'll set it up just real briefly. Jesus uh, was uh, walking by uh, close to Jerusalem, and uh, there was a fig tree that had uh, leaves on it. And as we've explained before, the way that fig trees work in the, in the Middle East and in Israel... Uh, even to this day is that when uh, uh, the fig tree blooms then figs appear at the same time. So a fig tree that green, has green leaves on it that's the signal that there are figs there. The King James is a little blind to us because it says the time of figs was not yet but that's not really what it's saying. It's a, that's a Western interpretation, that's an English interpretation of a lack of understanding of how fig trees operate. And don't take my word for it, check it out yourself. It's a, it's a very simple thing to go online and, and, uh, uh, and search it out and, and see that that's the case. Jesus comes to the fig tree, it's got green leaves on it, so he expects it to have figs, but it doesn't have any figs on it. And so Jesus curses it, and the disciples heard him say, No man shall eat fruit of thee hereafter forever. Next morning they come by, and the fig tree is dried up from the roots. It's dead from the roots. Now, we've made this point, but I, 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 I just have to keep making it again. If Jesus had taken a chainsaw to the tree the day before, it would still have green leaves on it. Something happened that went to the source of life for that tree. Folks, I want you to understand something. What Jesus is going to describe as the principle of faith deals with the source of problems, not the symptoms. Let me say that again. Faith deals with the source of the problem, not the symptoms. Now, we'll, this is Healing School, so we talk a lot about faith where healing is concerned, and we'll, we'll go further and explain Uh, what I mean by that as we go. But um, uh, Charles Mayo, the founder of the Mayo Clinic, everybody's heard of the Mayo Clinic, he said, he made a statement to a group of doctors. I don't know if it was the American Medical Association, but it was some group of doctors, public, uh, public meeting convention type thing. And he said this, he said, there is a source of sickness that goes deeper than any surgeon's knife can reach. Folks, I want you to understand something. And I I don't mean this as a criticism. I don't mean this as as any kind of slam or or any kind of judgment in any way whatsoever. But doctors treat symptoms. Now, if they are fortunate enough, for example, if there's a tumor and they can remove the tumor and that's all that it is, then they can sometimes get the source in that respect. But they still can't tell you what caused the original tumor. That's why when you go to a doctor, the doctor says, what's up? What's wrong? What's wrong? He's looking for you to tell him what the symptoms are so that then he knows how to treat it. And he'll, move, he'll uh, uh, create his diagnosis based on what you tell him and then whatever test he does, takes and, and performs from that point on. Faith doesn't deal with symptoms. And so often it seems to me that people are trying to use faith to, to change the symptoms. But faith goes deeper than that. It goes to the original source. That's why the fig tree dried up from the roots. Because when Jesus spoke... When Jesus cursed the fig tree, it went to the source of life that was producing or that, uh, that produced this unfruitful circumstance in Jesus' life. And folks, I want you to understand that's what the fig tree represents. It represents an unfruitful circumstance. It was a hindrance to Jesus. It was something that looked like it was productive but was not. The Bible says one of the things that we are to do as children of God is to prune our lives so that we produce more fruit. In other words, Cut off the dead stuff so that life will produce, will result. Greater fruit will result. So Jesus curses the fig tree. Next morning they come by and they see the fig tree dried up in the roots. Jesus, uh, the disciples, Peter calls it to his attention and says, Jesus, look, the fig tree which you cursed yesterday is withered away. And Jesus answers in verse 22, Mark chapter 11, verse 22. Jesus answers and says, have faith in God. Have faith in God. Another translation says, have the God kind of faith. Well, if this is the faith that Jesus operated in and Jesus was the Son of God, then it would have to be the God kind of faith. To say that it was the Jesus kind of faith or the Jesus example of faith is the same thing as to say the God kind of faith, right? So the first and uh, the, the, the initial key element of faith is the faith that the Bible talks about is the God kind of faith. Now, right alongside with that, to go along with the understanding of the God kind of faith, Every believer has a measure of it. Now, when I say every believer, I mean every Christian. Because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word. When you hear of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross and His resurrection, when you hear that priest, God supernaturally enables the Word to produce faith in your heart to receive that salvation. Now, how does that work? I don't know. I just know that's the way it works. When you hear the Word, faith is produced. Faith is like a seed, the Bible says. When you hear anything of God's work preached or taught or you read it for yourself in the Word, that will produce enough faith for you to receive it for yourself because faith comes by hearing. So, number one, the key element, the first key element is that the faith of the Bible is the God kind of faith and every Christian has a measure of that faith. Now, the second key element is, and we talked about this a uh, couple of weeks ago, three weeks ago, I guess, we talked about how that, that measure of faith can be, uh, can be developed, it can grow. Paul wrote to the Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 3, he said, we're bound to thank God for you always, brethren, because your faith groweth exceedingly. So faith can grow. We talked about how faith grows. Faith grows by feeding it on the Word and exercising it, feeding it on the Word and exercising it. Spiritual things grow just like physical things do. If you want your body to grow, you feed it right and you exercise it. If you want your spirit to grow, you feed it on God's Word and you exercise it. If you want your faith to grow, you feed it on what the Bible says belongs to you, what the Bible says God has done for you, and then you exercise yourself toward that. Now, the next thing that we talked about is that faith is of the heart. We're right here in Mark chapter 11, verse 22. Jesus answering said, have faith in God or have the God kind of faith, whichever one you prefer. It doesn't matter. Verse 23, he says, here's how this faith works. He said, for whosoever. Now, right there, that does away with some of the church's idea about this subject of faith. Because the church has the idea, religious doctrine has the idea that some people have faith and other people don't. That's not true. Every believer has faith, and every person that hears the word receives enough faith from that word that they heard to receive whatever the Bible was talking about that they heard. If you hear about Jesus... That word that you heard priest, produces enough faith on the inside of you that if you act on it, you can receive. So he says faith belongs to whosoever. Faith belongs to whosoever. <coughs> it's real easy to put it on God and say, well, God gives some people special faith or God gives some people greater faith than other people. That's not true, folks. We all as Christians start off with the same measure of faith and then it's up to us what we do with it. So he said, for whosoever shall say... Under this mountain, be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea. And shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe. Well, if he's talking about not doubting in your heart, then he's got to be talking about believing in your heart. That's the third thing. Is that the third, third key element? Faith is of the heart. Now, what does that mean? That means faith is not of the head. It means faith is not of the flesh. The Bible says that man is three parts, spirit, soul, and body. So where it says faith is of the heart, it means faith is of the spirit. So he said, Whosoever shall say, (coughs) excuse me, Whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, that's the only qualification there is, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass. Notice they haven't come to pass yet. That's why you say them. You say that which you desire to come to pass. Shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe in his heart. That those things which he saith shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. He shall have whatsoever he saith. So we know, therefore, that faith is of the heart. The Bible identifies the heart as the spirit of man. Faith is not of the head. Faith will work in your heart when there's doubt in your mind. Now, here's the way it works where the devil is concerned. You'll see something that the Bible says belongs to you. For example, healing. The Bible says, Jesus took your infirmities and bore your sicknesses and with the stripes you're healed. It does not say Jesus will take your sickness. It says Jesus has taken your sickness. It's already done. Jesus has taken your sickness just as much as he's taken your sins. We wouldn't expect somebody to come to the altar and give their heart to Jesus and then look for God to do something about their sins, would we? No, we'd tell them that God has already done something about their sins. Jesus already paid the price, and now all you have to do is receive it. Same thing with with, uh, sickness. Same exact thing with sickness. So if a person hears what the Bible says... When I say hears, I don't mean listens to, I mean accepts it as truth. Then from that point, they begin to speak from their heart, from their spirit, independent of circumstances. In other words, believing with the heart means believing just because God's word says so. You don't have any physical evidence of it. It may contradict all the physical evidence you do have, but you believe just because God's word says so. Interesting, Jesus said in John chapter 6, verse 63, he said, my words are spirit and they are life. So when you're believing from your spirit, you're believing in spirit words. That's what the Bible is. So whosoever shall say, you're speaking from your heart, from your spirit, just because God's word says so. And then you choose, you determine, you refuse to doubt in your heart. What does that mean? That means you refuse to say anything to the contrary of what God's Word has already said. And folks, that's a fight. That's why the Bible talks about fighting the good fight of faith. There is a huge fight that takes place once you begin to speak God's Word. Because everything the devil has, he will throw at you to try to get you to say something to the contrary. He'll throw every circumstance in your way. He'll throw every story that any Christian has ever experienced or ever heard experienced. He'll bring everything possible in your path to get you to say something other than what God's Word says. Why? Because that's doubting in the heart and will nullify the faith that you've begun. Now what happens with the devil is he'll bring these things to you. He'll tempt you to speak contrary to God's Word based on circumstances, based on feelings, based on the surroundings that we find ourselves in and then he'll tell you when those thoughts come to your mind that it's not working. He'll tell you that that's your doubt. He'll tell you He'll plant the doubt in your mind and then tell you that you're doubting. And folks, folks remember, it's not doubting in your head that stops faith from working. It's doubting in your heart. Remember the rule. The rule is what you say, not what you think. That's why I say, faith will work in your heart even when there's doubt in your mind. Faith will work in your heart even when there's doubt in your mind. Now the next key element we talked about that some last week and we'll we'll go a little bit further and some of these things overlap. You, it's really hard to take each and every one of these points as an individual and talk just about it without overlapping some others. And so we'll we'll continue to talk some of, uh, as we go into the next key element. But notice in verse 23, Mark chapter 11 verse 23, there's not one word spoken about prayer. Jesus is saying that faith, the God kind of faith, the Jesus example of faith is whosoever shall say unto this mountain, be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea. He did not say whosoever shall pray. He didn't say a word about praying here, did he? He's telling us here's the principle of faith. Whosoever shall say unto this mountain, be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe in his heart that those things which he saith shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. Notice there's not one mention about prayer. So faith works independent of prayer. Or we like to say it this way, faith works by saying and not just by praying. In other words, Jesus spoke to the fig tree. He didn't talk to God about the fig tree. He cursed the fig tree. He spoke to the situation. And Jesus goes further and says it will work not only on fig tree, it will work on whatever mountain of problem you've got. Whosoever shall say to this mountain, there was a physical mountain there, but Jesus is using it as an example. He's saying something as big as a mountain in your life. If you'll speak to the mountain and not doubt in your heart, but believe in your heart that the words that you say will come to pass, you'll have what you say. So faith works by saying. Now verse 24, here's the other part of this key element. Now he's going to talk about prayer. Why did he separate these two? Why did he separate verse 23 from verse 24? Now, of course, he's not talking in chapter and verse. But he's talking about two specific uses are two specific ways that faith can operate verse 23 is faith works by saying verse 24 is faith works in prayer too now why does faith work in prayer we'll go and read verse 24 first and then answer the question jesus said therefore i say unto you now what does he start off with therefore for somebody once said whenever you find the word therefore you need to stop and see what it's there for That's good advice in this case. Jesus is saying, because faith works by saying and believing in your heart and maintaining that belief in your heart and refusing to say anything contrary to the word of God, he said, because it works that way, therefore, what things soever you desire. Therefore, I say unto you, what things soever you desire. Now he's going, changing uh, changing, uh, his example or changing his explanation of what faith works on. First, he's talking about problems, a problem even as big as the mountain. Now, he's talking about things you want. I don't know about you, but that's good news to me. He said, faith works on mountains, problems. But He said, faith always also works on things that you desire. He said, therefore, because of the principle of faith, uh, believing in your heart and speaking with your mouth, he said, therefore, I say unto you, what things soever... You desire. Now, that's King James English, but everybody understand that means whatever you desire. Whatever you desire. Now, folks, if the Bible can be taken literally, and you're going to have to choose for yourself whether or not it can. But if the Bible can be taken literally, if these literally were the words of Jesus, Jesus said faith works on anything you want. That's the point where you lose most people. Because they start thinking about extremes. Extremes. Oh, you mean if I wanted something ungodly? Listen, folks, I'm not talking about idiot situations. I don't believe Jesus was either. Jesus knows that he's talking to men that can get pretty carnal. One of them's a thief. When he's crucified, a couple of them are going to decide to leave the ministry and go back to fishing. He knows these are not perfect guys, but he tells them the principle of faith. What things soever you desire. When you pray, believe. Believe that you receive them, the things you desire, and you shall have them. Now, the believing that you receive the things you desire has to refer back to verse 23, believing in the heart. In other words, speaking only what God's Word says and refusing to say anything to the contrary. He said if you'll use that same principle in prayer, then you'll have whatever you want. Now, why does faith work by speaking? But faith also works by praying because you can't, pray without, you can't pray without speaking. And your words are the key element of faith. Now, most people turn it around. Most people say that believing is the key element. All faith is all about believing. Notice verse 23 again. Notice that say is in, the word, is in that, uh, the word say is in Mark eleven 23, three times where believe is only there once. Jesus said, Whosoever shall say, there's one say. Whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe. So you got one say, one believe. But shall believe in his heart that those things which he saith, there's say in some form twice. But shall believe that whatsoever he saith shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. You got say in Mark eleven twenty 23, three times you got believe once. Now, why in the world would Jesus give us that as an example? Because you're going to have to focus three times on the saying part, three times more on the saying part than you do the believing part. But you know as well as I do, most of the teaching in the body of Christ, outside those the, the, what's called word of faith circles, most of the teaching is done in denominational churches about believing. Most people don't miss it on their believing, they miss it on their saying. More people miss it on the saying part than they do the believing part by a long shot. So faith works by saying and faith also works by praying because you can't pray, or pray without saying. And your words are the key. Now, folks, um, as I said, faith will work in your heart because faith is of the Spirit. Faith will work in your heart even when there's doubt in your mind. A number of years ago, I'd have to really look back to see how long ago it was. Um, well, it was the late 90s. I, I, that's about as close as I can get. But uh, at any rate, there was, uh, at the first of the year, and I, I rarely do this, and I, I I don't know, I've wondered sometimes if I shouldn't do this more often, but at the beginning of the year, I kind of take stock of, okay, Lord, where are we as a church, and, and where do we want to be, and, and what do we want to do, and, and that kind of stuff. And I just was... Uh, I hate to say impressed because it wasn't like God led me to do it, but at any rate, I made a statement. Just declared it in the shower before the Lord. This year, whatever year it was, late 90s, this year the church will bring in X amount of dollars in tithes and offerings. Well, we were in the middle of a building project, and and so I knew that there would be extra money that was needed and and that kind of thing, but I didn't know how much money we'd need. It's not like I'd penciled it out and said, okay, here's the budget, and here's how it's going to work. Here's what we're going to need. I just said, here's how much we're going to need. Here's how much we claim this year. I didn't pray about it and say, Lord, I'm asking you, can I have this? Uh, I believe I receive it or anything like that. I just made a statement in the shower. And when I did, man, I felt good on the inside. It's almost like I had the money in my hand. It's it's easy to feel good when you pray, isn't it? You get all excited. Oh, glory to God. This is going to be so great when we finally see this and it comes to reality and man, this is gonna be great. Well, next day comes along, the money's not there. Next day comes along, money's not there. I'm not expecting it to come overnight. But every morning I get up and, and every time I thought about it, it might not have been every day to start with, because I had to remind myself it was this was a new thing, but every day I started saying Thank you, Father, for X amount of dollars for the Foothill Family Church this year. Continue to say that throughout the year. Well, church finances were good. Nothing great, nothing Nothing unusual. Pretty much where we were last year, the year before, you know, that kind of thing. We get down to, uh, uh, I don't know, October, something like that. Church is still doing good. Finances are good. But I'm pretty short on that total. I'm about... Uh, uh, well, at that point, we're probably about $700,000 short. Well, I got a lot of money and not many months left. So you start looking at stuff like that, you know? I mean, you, when you sign uh, a loan agreement or something like that, you're thinking, hey, it's no problem because the payment date is way out there in the future. Payment date starts getting shorter and you start going, hey, we've got to do something about this. Well, that's kind of how I felt. And so I'm continuing, am continuing. Thank you, Father. Just thanking the Lord for it, not because I've asked Him, just because I'm made my statement of faith, my confession of faith. Thank You, Father. For X amount of dollars, for foothill family church this year. Well, October continued to be a good month. First of November started off pretty good. We, you know, we're doing pretty well. But now we're getting down to where we're about six weeks left in the year, and I'm five hundred thousand dollars short. And the devil's right there sitting on my shoulder. Now I'm not having to think about saying it anymore. I'm reminded, but not reminded because I want to make the statement of faith. I've got the devil telling me, You don't really think that's going to happen, do you? You don't really think that money's going to come in. In six weeks, there's not a chance. You've never had that kind of money come in in six weeks before. He did the math for me. That's almost $100,000 a week. <laughs> the devil's good at math sometimes, you know. Not always, but sometimes. And so I just said, Thank you, Father. I knew not to say anything to the contrary, but boy, my head was spinning. My head was spinning. Don't tell me faith won't work in your heart with doubt in your mind because I was doubting in my mind. Well, Pastor Mike, did you feel guilty about doubting? No, it's not my doubt. It's doubt that the enemy is trying to get me to take hold of. If I don't take hold of it, it's not mine. Yeah, but you were thinking that it wasn't going to work. Yeah, but I didn't say it. Jesus said, take no thought saying what shall we eat or what shall we drink? You know how you take the devil's thoughts? By speaking them. But any thought that he brings to you that you refuse to speak dies unborn. You can abort the devil's thoughts by refusing to let them come out of your mouth. So I just continued. Every morning, I just continued. Thank you, Father, for X amount of dollars for Foothill Family Church for this year. The devil came to me and he said, well, maybe the money will come in after the first of the year. You know, there's some kind of overlap. Sometimes people make money in the previous year, but they don't wind up giving it until in January, sometimes the end of January. Maybe it'll come by then. Well, I started to bite on that. and I thought, well, that makes sense. You know, that's happened before. And then I stopped and I caught myself and I said, no. By December the 31st, in Jesus' name, See, the devil will start making deals with you. If he can't get you to, to, to doubt, if he can't get you to doubt in your heart, he'll start trying to make deals with you. Well, maybe it'll be like this. That's what most of the church world calls wisdom. Well, you got to use wisdom with this faith stuff. Usually that means compromise with the devil. Folks, don't compromise anything. I said nope, by December the 31st. This year means this year. Well, every morning, devil's right there. How much you got? How much you got? How much you got? How much you got? Anything come in? Doubts are spinning in my head. And all of a sudden, I just started praying in tongues. And now, folks, the Bible says one of the best ways to quieten your mind is to pray in tongues. I know that most of the church world doesn't accept that. Most of the church world bypasses the benefits of that. But if you, you know how you lay down at night and your body will get still, but your mind will still be running 100 miles an hour? Best way to quieten your mind down is to pray in tongues. Well, how long do you do it? Till your mind shuts up. When you first start off, it takes a little while. After you get used to it, you can do it quicker and quicker and quicker. So I just started praying in tongues. And I just began to pray in tongues for a little bit. I began to sing in tongues for a little bit. I'm not doing anything except edifying myself. The Bible says, he that speaketh in an unknown tongue edifies or spiritually strengthens himself. The word edify literally means to charge yourself up like a battery. It's one of the greatest sources of spiritual strength that we have available to us. It's allowing the Holy Ghost on the inside of us to express himself for our benefit. So I just began to pray in tongues for a little bit. And I began to, to sing in tongues for a little bit. And then when my mind got quiet, I just stopped. And I thought, I started this on Mark eleven twenty three. Whosoever shall say unto this mountain, be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea. I'm meditating on the scripture now. Whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart. I know what doubt in my heart means. I mean, saying anything to the contrary, but shall believe in his heart, in his spirit, that those things which he saith shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. And when I meditated on that, it was like I was seeing it in front of me. It was like I was picturing the scripture. It was like he shall have jumped out at me. And it was like there was a, a, there was a, a, a it wasn't like I saw something new, but I saw it new again. I don't know how to explain it any better way than that. It's like I saw it new again. It's like, wait a minute. He shall have whatsoever he saith. I've been saying this all year. It's impossible for me not to have this. I've been saying it all year. And boy, something rose up on the inside of me. The Holy Ghost on the inside of me rose up. And those next six weeks were the most fun time I ever had. And the $500,000 came in. In the last 10 days. The last 10 days. Two $250,000 checks in the last 10 days of the year. God never said it'd be early. But he did say, you shall have whatsoever you say. But folks, I never will forget that. There are spiritual moments there. Are, you know, the Bible talks about landmarks. You know, don't remove the, the landmarks of your father. In other words, he's talking about there are memorials and different things that we need to remember in our lives. I will never forget that morning in the shower as long as I live. I will, and I've, I've never looked at Mark eleven twenty three 23 the same either. Because he shall have jumped at me. And I realized it's impossible for this not to happen. Because God said, I'll have it. I've done my part. I've said it all along. I've been saying it all year. It's impossible for this not to happen. And it did. It came in. And I never prayed about it. Never once did I pray about it. I never asked God, oh, Lord, am I doing the right thing here? Oh, Lord, can you help me about this? I never one time, never once prayed about it. That money came in, that year's uh, Income for the church came in because of what I said. Now, stop and think about how that works. I didn't give the money to the church. Some of you gave the money to the church that year. Well, why? Think about what happens when somebody operates in faith. Somebody operates in faith, and it sets a whole series of motion, a whole series of events in motion. There were people that were moved on in this church because somebody reached out in faith. God prompted them... To do something that helped meet the need, and God rewarded them for acting in obedience to what He told them to do. Folks, faith is one of the greatest things that there is because it produces a continual prop, not just for you, but for everybody. Are you here or are you going home? Do you understand what I mean? Faith works by saying, You're governed by your words, you're governed by your words. Now, that brings us to another point, and that is faith is always expressed in either word or action. Now, the reason we put both word and action when we've already been talking about the words part, the confession part, is because of what James said. Turn with me over to James, chapter, uh, let's start in chapter 1. James chapter 1, James had an interesting perspective on things in the way that he wrote because he was a pastor. Paul wasn't a pastor. Peter wasn't a pastor. Jude wasn't a pastor. John wasn't a pastor. But James comes from a different perspective. He's there where he's living with people day in and day out. Now, folks, I traveled on the road, and even though I was teaching in churches, it's real easy to come in and, 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 and make all kinds of bold statements and promises. If you'll just reach out, then, then this will happen for you. If you know you're leaving the next day, it's not your problem if somebody doesn't receive But so when you're living there with people, you begin to approach things from a different perspective. See, you go into a crusade situation or a revival uh, environment, and you're trying to inspire people to receive right then. Well, as the pastor of the church, if I tell you tonight's your night, then you may think, well, if I don't get it tonight, I can't get it tomorrow. So I can't put it out there like this is it. This is your chance. Don't miss your chance tonight. Because then what are you going to do tomorrow if you don't reach out and receive See, the promises of God are just as true tomorrow as they are tonight. I want to encourage you and persuade you according to the Word of God so that you reach out and take hold. But I don't want to take anything from you if you don't get it right now. That's where James is coming from. That's why James is writing the letter that he writes. Now, notice what he says. James chapter 1, verse 21, he says, Receive with meekness, the last part of the verse, he says, Receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your souls. So he's talking about the Word of God having an effect on your mind, your understanding, because he's writing to people that are saved. He can't be talking about their spirits getting saved because their spirits have already been made new. So he's saying the Word of God is that which transforms you. It brings about the saving of the soul. James calls it the saving of the soul. Paul calls it the transformation or the renewing of the mind. It's the same thing. Different terminology, but the same thing that the Holy Ghost is trying to get across to us. But notice in verse 22, he said, But be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Be doers of the word, and not hearers only. He continues this line of reasoning, this line of thought, in chapter 2, in verse 17. He said, Even though, even so, faith, if it has not works, is dead, being alone. Now, the translators did us a disservice by translating this word works in the way that they did. Now, the reason it's a disservice is not because it's a bad translation. It's not. But Paul talks about the difference between faith and works. Now, James is talking about faith plus works. And that becomes confusing to some people. Some people think that Paul and James are talking about two different things or they're contradicting each other, and they're not. Paul is simply saying, you don't work your way to God. There is only one way to God, and that's by receiving the free gift of salvation that Jesus purchased for you, and you do that by faith. So it's not faith and works where Paul is talking about. It's either faith or works. And the Jews were great at trying to work themselves toward God. He said, you can't do it that way because you'll never be good enough. You can't work yourself in. It's not by works. It's only by faith. But that's not the context that James is speaking in. James is saying to Christians, it's not enough for you just to speak the word. You've got to do it too. This word works that James is talking about really would be better translated or at least for our understanding would be better uh, translated as corresponding actions. Because see, you can say one thing but live another. We've all seen that in the body of Christ, haven't we? We've seen people claim to be Christians but they sure don't live like it. We've seen people say that the word of God is true but then they don't act like it. That's what James is talking about. He's talking about actions in your life that correspond to or result from your confession of faith. So he says, even so, faith without works or apart from works is dead, being alone. So he's saying faith needs action, corresponding action to go with it. He said that's how faith really brings about results. Now let me show you the example. Turn back with me to Acts chapter 14. What is James telling us by the Holy Ghost? He's telling us the same thing that we see uh, identified in other scriptures, and that is... Faith and works are the expression, I'm sorry, confession and works are the expression of faith. Acts chapter 14 is a good example of this. It tells us about how that uh, Paul and his company were in the the region of Galatia. It says in verse 7, it says, and there they preached the gospel in the city of Lystra, And there they preached the gospel, and there sat a certain man at Lystra, impotent in his feet, being a cripple from his mother's womb who had never walked. The same heard Paul speak, who, speaking of Paul, steadfastly beholding him and perceiving that he had faith to be healed. Now, I want you to notice that. The man has faith to be healed because he's heard Paul preach the gospel. So Paul's gospel must have included healing. Romans 10, 17 says, so then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. The fact that he has faith to be healed identifies very specifically that Paul had to be preaching healing in his message, and the Holy Ghost calls that the gospel. What is that telling us? It's telling us that Jesus paid the same price for sickness as he paid for sins, and that's what Paul was preaching, and the man had faith to be healed. Now, if you stop reading right there at the end of verse 9, he's got a heart full of faith, but no results. Where it says he had faith to be healed, that would be faith of the heart. So he's got a heart full of faith, but no results. Folks, I want you to understand something. Faith has to have an expression in order for it to work. That expression is either through words and or actions. There are some things you can't act on. You can just, the only thing you can do is say. But there are other things you can say and do. Think of it like this. You could have a pocket full of money, and it won't buy you one thing unless you get it out of your pocket. You can have a heart full of faith, and it won't produce healing unless you get it out of your heart. And where does the devil attack you? The devil attacks you by saying, you don't have enough faith. You don't have enough faith. What's he trying to do? He's trying to get you to work on the things on the inside rather than say, speak the word of faith that you have. Why? Because faith is expressed by words and actions. So the man has faith to be healed. Verse 10 Paul, after perceiving that he had faith to be healed, said with a loud voice, Stand upright on your feet. And he leaped and walked. I want you to notice that Paul did three things and the crippled man did three things. Paul preached the gospel. Paul perceived that he had faith to be healed. And Paul said, Stand upright on your feet. The man heard Paul speak, had faith to be healed, and stood up, leaped and walked. Folks, that's the way it works. You've got to work in cooperation with the word. Notice it doesn't say that this man was healed because Paul was an apostle. It doesn't say Paul perceived that the Holy Ghost wanted him to do a miracle to prove that his preaching was true. It doesn't say that. It said Paul perceived that the man had faith to be healed. Now, we don't have record that there's anybody else in Lystra that was healed. You think he's the only one in that crowd that's being preached to? You think he's the only sick person there? May have not have been anybody else that was crippled, but I would be very surprised to find out there wasn't somebody that had some kind of ailment in the crowd. People sitting right next to you, maybe on both sides of this crippled man. And he receives faith to be healed. And they don't. We don't have any record that anybody else got anything. Why? Because what you do with what you hear makes all the difference in what you get. It's not God's responsibility. The gospel was just as true for everybody else in the crowd as it was for the crippled man. But we don't have record that anybody else got anything except the crippled man. Why? Because he heard Paul speak. Folks, I firmly believe this means a lot more than just listen to Because everybody else in the crowd listened to Paul speak. But this man heard it. He accepted what Paul was saying as true. And as a result, it planted the seed of faith in his heart. And that seed of faith was enough for him to be healed. Now all Paul's got to do is get him to act on it. All Paul's got to do is get him to get that faith out of his heart and into action. Just like you have to get your money out of your pocket and into circulation for it to purchase something. If you get faith, at the point you get faith out of your heart and into circulation, it will produce results. How do you do that? By saying what you believe. So Jesus said, Mark eleven twenty three 23 again, whosoever shall say unto this mountain, be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass. He shall have whatsoever he saith. So faith is expressed first through words, And second, through actions. We don't have any record that this guy said a word. Maybe he's trying to be polite and not interrupt Paul's service. Paul perceives that the man had faith to be healed. And so Paul commands him, stand upright on your feet. And the guy expresses his faith by taking action and is instantly healed. Folks, faith is always expressed by word and or action. Now, most things you can both speak and do. Some things you can't, but most things you can't. So I would recommend that you start looking for things. If you've been making a confession of faith, especially if you haven't seen results yet, I would recommend that you start looking at it from this standpoint. Now, what can I do that shows I believe? Now, some people will go to extremes and they'll say, well, I'm believing for healing for my eyes, so I'll throw down my glasses and stomp on them and break my glasses, and that'll prove that I believe. Folks, that's not faith. That's not faith. This guy did something because he believed. This guy did something because he believed. This guy did something because he believed. Well, what if you are believing for your eyesight? Every time you put on your glasses, say, my eyesight is 20-20 according to the Word of God. Because Jesus took my infirmities and bore my sicknesses, my eyesight is completely restored in Jesus' name. See, mix faith with whatever you're doing. Mix faith with, with your daily life. Now, if you're operating in a way that contradicts the Word of God, then that's what you need to fix. But that's not usually the case. Usually it comes down to mixing faith with what you're doing. Here, this is a, an issue, and I think we've mentioned this before even in this series. But there's so much controversy in the body of Christ about medicine or not medicine. There's so much room for the devil to come bring uh, doubt, thoughts of doubt to people's minds about, well, if you are in God for your healing, what are you taking medicine for? Because you're dealing with two different things. Medicine deals with the symptoms. Faith deals with the source. For example... Nobody has a headache because of an aspirin deficiency in their body, do they? Are headaches caused by an aspirin deficiency? Well, then what does taking aspirin do? Aspirin treats the symptoms. But for example, if if you've got a headache because you're dehydrated, maybe you've been in the sun staring in the sun all day, those are things that the aspirin doesn't deal with the source. Maybe you're under stress. Maybe your headache is caused by tight muscles and, and, and uh, stressful situations that you've allowed to affect your body. Well, the, the, the uh, aspirin may help the, the pain in your head, but it's not going to do anything about the source of the pain, and which would be the stress. But faith will. Faith will deal with the source of it. Faith in the Bible, what the Bible says God will do for you and the peace of God that belongs to you will deal with the stressful situations so that while the aspirin is helping the symptoms... You can deal with the source so that you don't have the headache in the first place. See what I'm trying to say? I always suggest that you mix mix faith with your medicine. Mix faith with your medicine. Well, what about you, Pastor Mike? If you feel cold symptoms and stuff like that coming on, what do you do? I take medicine and mix faith with it. Why? Because I can't afford to lose my voice. I can't afford to lose my voice. What am I going to do? I'd have to let Beth preach. Dear God. (laughs) Not that she wouldn't do a good job, but she'd catch up. She'd get me back for all these things that I've said for (laughs) these many years. I can't take that chance. So what do you do, Pastor Mike? I do whatever is necessary. If my nose is stuffed up, no point in letting my nose run because I'm in faith, is there? I get amused with people that, uh, that, that take this hard-line approach. Well, if you really believe God, you wouldn't take medicine. Folks, I've never found one of those people that don't use deodorant. And what's the difference? Doesn't deodorant mask the symptom of your body, the smell of your body? If your faith is so strong, believe God not to stink. What's the difference? There is no difference. One's internal and one's external, but it's exactly the same thing. It's exactly the same principle. Until your faith is so strong, you don't need to use deodorant. Don't talk to me about taking medicine. I always mix faith with the medicine. I know what the medicine is supposed to do, but I'll mix faith with it. I'll say, thank you, Father, that Jesus took my infirmities and bore my sicknesses, and by his stripes I'm healed. So I mix faith with this to bring about supernatural results in Jesus' name. And it works like a charm. works like a charm. God's not against medicine, folks. God's not against doctors. Thank God for doctors. They've kept most Christians alive to where they could learn to believe God. Have you noticed that God's not in the extreme things? You'll find people on the extremes on both ends. God's always right there in the middle of the road. On every issue. You'll get some people that'll go to the extreme and say, well, we've got to look out for the poor. Well, the Bible says give to the poor. By the way, the Bible says give to the poor. It didn't say pay the government to give to the poor. Okay, you'll get that later. The <laughs> Bible says give to the poor, but it also says if you don't work, you don't eat. What does that mean? That means God's right in the middle of the road. And if you, know, if you think about it, the key, it's kind of like driving. The key to driving is to stay between the ditches. It's like that spiritually. Stay between the ditches, folks. Don't get into these arguments about, well, if you are believing God, you ought to do this. That's where the devil tries to push you. That's what he tried to do to Jesus. He took him to the pinnacle of the temple and said, if you're the son of God, throw yourself down. Yeah, that'd make a big show with it. That's what the devil always wants to do. He wants to push you out there on the edge. Just mix faith with where you are. Start where you are. So faith works by saying, and faith works also by praying. Why? Because faith is of the heart, and out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for your word. Thank you that it's true. Thank you, Father, for the privilege that we have to feed on your word, to read it, to study it. To make it a part of our spirit so that when we speak the word of God, it has the same effect that it was sent to accomplish. You said, Father, your word is not void of power, but it shall accomplish everything that you sent it to and prosper in the thing that you please. Thank you, Father, that the word of healing prospers for healing. Thank you, Father, that the word of God for provision prospers in provision. Thank you that the word of salvation prospers in people being saved. Because your word is not void of power. Oh, Father, what a privilege it is to walk by faith. We feel so sorry for those who have always had it easy, Lord, never learned the true value of believing you, to meet their needs, to meet every need. What a wonderful privilege it is, Father, to know that your word never fails. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for being with us.